This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. Matt, today we've got Jens von Bergman. Jens von Bergman, recurring guest. Last time he was talking about the Teardown Index. Today we got him on talking about censusmapper.ca. Censusmapper.ca. He's also a co-founder of mountainmath.ca. Uh, they focus on data, analytics, modeling, and visualization. Yeah. It's basically, they're going through the census data, and then they're presenting it beautifully. Well, beautifully and, and coming up with interesting findings. You know, what I love about our conversation with Jens and what he's doing more generally is he's taking the information that you might hear with a splashy headline, right. and he's drilling down and really providing that analysis that that is really useful. I mean, we should say too, censusmapper.ca has all sorts of maps, not just real estate related, obviously, but stuff like where you're going to see the most trick-or-treaters on Halloween. Hopefully not Strathcona. <laughs> you sit, I'm, I'm you, low on chocolate. I was going to say, you sit in the living room with your lights out, staring out the window. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're, we're big on Halloween around here. But yeah, I think, I actually, I think you're your actually kind of almost half live in a haunted house. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. And I have to look haunted. Um, but hey, what about you? You're you're over in Grandview Woodlands. You, Grandview, you guys probably I just have a checked the map. It's a ton of kids. Uh, I'm thinking that we don't have enough chocolate for next Tuesday. So if you want to know if you need to buy chocolate yeah, this year. How much chocolate you need? <laughs> Head over to uh, censusmapper.ca. Uh, but before we get to our discussion with Jens von Bergman, we should stop here to mention a promotion that Super is Super exciting promotion. Yeah, and it's not our promotion. It's the guys it doesn't over benefit at- us really in almost any way. No, 
it, it's but it just, benefits everybody else. Yeah. What we're talking about is there's a one-day conference put on by Junction Media on November 21st at the Blue Hotel in downtown Vancouver. Right. And November 21st. We've, we've known these guys for a while. Flynn, Connor, the team over there. Awesome fan- people. Fantastic at what they do. Obviously, you know, we have a lot of realtors who are listening. Realtors uh, are trying to use social media to enhance their business. Yep. And it's not always easy to navigate and figure out what works, what doesn't, why it works, how to connect with people. And that's the whole game, right? Well, so- that's it. And I mean, it's funny because we, we've we talked about this before. Before we met Connor and Flynn and the team at Junction, we had done conferences. We'd, we'd been involved in workshops. We're students of the social media game. We're, we've been longtime <laughs> students, short-time masters, and never, maybe, never maybe time. Maybe never time never masters. Time masters. But, but it's, it's funny, when we sat down with Flynn and Connor, we learned more in 15 minutes than we've probably learned in the last six, seven years of studying social media. These so guys know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Uh, we're really excited about this. The realtors that listen to this show, they'll get 20% off this conference coming up on November 21st at Hotel Blue in Yaletown. Um, so all you have to do, Matt, is head over to real-social.ca, put in Scalina20, that's scalena Twenty, and you'll get twenty percent off of this conference. Twenty percent off for the day, not bad. Merry early Christmas. I was going to say it's only Halloween, but there you go, guys. <laughs> so yeah, so if you want to develop your social media content, advertising, building website traffic, lead gen, these are your guys. Go over to real-social.ca and check it out. Enter Scalina twenty. So Matt, maybe without further ado, here's our interview with Jens von Bergman, co-founder of MountainMath.ca and statistician. Yeah, enjoy, guys. Okay, so we're here with Jens von Bergman, founder of Mountain Math, past guest, and uh, active Vancouverite. How are you doing, Jens? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. How are you? Hey, pretty good. Thanks. Uh, this is Matt here, Jens. Thanks for taking the time. So, Jens, can you maybe start by maybe just telling us a, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I moved to Vancouver about seven years ago now and um, set up my own company here to do a variety of things. And uh, probably in the last two to three years, I got a lot, uh, got quite interested in uh, data, especially census data, but also other kind of public data sources, sometimes not so public data sources, and um, moved the company in the direction of data analysis and visualization. Yeah, so that um, really has been more of a recent focus here, and um, I've built a couple of products around this. One of them is called Census Mapper, which gives, an, you know, I, I like to say it, it um, puts the open into StatsCan open data <laughs> in a way that it just makes it accessible to a fairly large audience, uh, when before it was really just open to a couple of people that... Um, you know, have the time and the expertise to load this into their um, GIS software and do things with it there. So that's why we had uh, asked you back, Jens, apart from, you know, following you on on Twitter where you're very active and I would say an important voice. uh, A lot of people were talking about Census Mapper. Did you create that kind of as a public service or is it is it part of a larger project, part of a consultant type uh, project or, or why did you create Census Mapper? So a couple of years ago when uh, one of my business things started to sort of run on its own and um, I had some free time, I was looking around 
um, at some data things, and a friend of mine emailed me a census data set, which um, was just the city of Vancouver data, and I didn't know how to look at it. I don't have any GIS background, and so I need a web map. That was my way of looking at the data, and um, it was automatically online, and at some point a journalist picked up on it and wrote some stories on it, and I started to get questions about census data. And my response was at the time said, well, it's just census data. I mean, I just told the journalist, just look it up. I mean, it's publicly available sure. data. And then after I did this and the journalists were sort of saying, well, I don't really know, I decided, well, it can't be that hard. So I decided to look it up. And it was actually took you know, a surprising amount of time to get fairly simple answers from census data. And I decided, so that's not right. So I was thinking about it for a bit, and then I decided, well, there definitely is a need for an easier way to access census data. And um, I had a bit of time, and it really started as an interest, public service kind of idea. And I kind of just built Census Mapper. It spiraled a bit out of control. <laughs> <laughs> and it's almost like open source, right? You can Now people can actually go on Census Mapper and create their own maps? Right. So, um, yes, so what happened is sort of this, it's undergone several stages. So initially it was just me making these maps. And then I decided, well, I really should open this up to have other people to, that, that are interested in things just to, to make their own maps. So right now anybody can just go and um, even without an account and create a map. Um, you'll have to create an account if you want to save it and share it with other people. So, yes, yeah, so this is something where I decided uh, there should be some kind of public service. In the meantime, there's a lot of depth in Census Mapper that isn't visible to the average user. And so there's quite a bit of stuff that is locked off that people don't see and that I use internally for consulting work, for a, a range of things. And, and some of that sometimes is visible in more complex maps that I would make. Interesting. So what does Census Mapper and this data tell us about Vancouver? What are the most important trends? Well, with the new data coming in, that is, um, you know, it's, I find it quite interesting and fascinating, of course, since I've looked at these things for a while. And just to view our city through time, Census Mapper doesn't have the whole range of all the censuses, but it has now from 2006, 2011, and the 2016 data, as much as is available by now, the complete data sets here. And that allows for really looking at how things change through time, which is uh, really quite interesting. And um, one thing that we've seen in Vancouver is a change, if, we, if you're thinking about real estate, a change in just our, our built fabric, how um, single detached, which is a census category, which uh, refers to an unsuited single family home, has been on, the, on a steep decline over those years and um, has been taken up by other forms. Some of them have been suited, so that the census calls that duplex units. Some of them have been converted to what we would call a duplex, um, which the census called a semi-detached house, or unit in a semi-detached house, each one of those. And um, this is something where Vancouver has now overtaken Montreal as uh, the metropolitan area with the least amount of single detached homes. The lowest percentage of single right. detached homes in their, their building stock. This seems yeah. very interesting considering that this is over the past 10 years and where everyone's calling for more density, more density, but it actually sounds like there's been an increase in density, a considerable increase occurring just on its own. 
It has. I mean, and some of that is simply um, the census is getting better and better every year at finding suites. So um, if you, for example, compare the uh, BC assessment has a number of suites that are um, sort of legal suites, and that is significantly lower than the number of um, suites that the census finds. Oh, and um, so in, in, in year over year, the census does get better at finding these. There's also geographical variations. So if we look at the suites and how they're distributed, say, within the city of Vancouver, they really seem to cluster on the east side. So there are much fewer suites on the west side in comparison. And we seem to also reach some kind of balance at this point. So looking at building permit data for the city of Vancouver, just over half of newly built single-family homes come built with a suite. And if you look at census data, you can estimate that maybe just under a half single-family homes have a suite. So we're starting to reach this point. Of course, there are, there are single-family homes that get built that might just have the rough-ins for the suite, mm-hmm. and the suite will get added later. And there are conversions back and forth. Um, we have single-family homes with suites that get torn down and replaced by homes without suites. And the other way around, we have people that, say, buy a single-family home that has a suite and they take it offline and incorporate it again as part of the main house, depending on people's needs. So there's a lot of movement still on this. But Vancouver stands out as a place where census duplexes, so single-family homes with suites, um, take up a big chunk, much bigger than in any other metropolitan area in Canada. What do you think that tells us about, about the city then and its relationship with real estate? Well, I think in many ways, uh, Vancouver has been on the forefront of this kind of, you know, first steps of gentle density by not going after suites, then legalizing suites that were previously not authorized, then also adding the laneway homes. So Vancouver really has quite a leadership role there in North America. And partially that's in lockstep with the increases in real estate prices. Mm-hmm. And we often hear, you know, people talk about these suites. And to me, I'm, I'm feeling a bit ambivalent about it. So if there is a, a household that maybe uh, the kids moved out, a couple still is in there, and they decide they don't need that much space, and they carve out a suite of part of the house and create more room for other people to live, I think that's great. That's amazing. It helps everybody. But if you start to think about how it's often portrayed in the news, you see the suite advertised as a mortgage helper. I'm not so sure how constructive that is, because once you think of suites mainly as mortgage helpers, the best mortgage helper is a smaller mortgage. (laughs) So really, that's the time where people would have thought about, maybe we need to view this differently. We need to maybe start and stratify or subdivide or do other ways because people really, they don't want the whole house. Mm -hmm. They kind of want some part of that, but, you know, they definitely want what, for all intents and purposes, is it's like a strata unit, like two families living in the same house. And then maybe we need to find better ways to enable that. And, I mean, the city's latest push to allow some of that, if you jump through some character hoops, is, again, a step in the right direction. But I think it's time we should focus more on people and not on the buildings and figure out what really is that new thing where Vancouver families are comfortable with living in that maybe can replace the single family home that is financially out of reach for most people and simply out of reach for over half of families with children because we just don't have enough single family homes to go around. Right. 
Interesting. This is makes me think of Nathan Louster's work on the death of the single family home as well. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Uh, so moving in in a slightly different direction here. I mean, one of the maps that I was looking at that struck me was it does seem like a lot of people in Vancouver, twenties, thirties, forties, are living alone and without mm-hmm. kids. Was that one of the more surprising trends that y- you've come across? Well, there's a Canada-wide trend to kind of delay um, the, the childbirth, and um, families start later nowadays than they used to. I mean, one thing that I've looked at, and that's also actually inspired by some work that Nathan Louster did, is uh, there was always this ongoing um, theme that that repeated in the news about the um, lifeblood of Vancouver leaving, mm-hmm. like millennials leaving the city. And so this was something that I wanted to look at between the 2011 and the 2016 censuses to really look at where are those people moving and leaving. So if you divide up the population by age groups and you take, for example, the 24-year-old um, age group in 2011 in a particular area, and then five years later in the 2016 census, you compare that to the 25 to 29 year old age group, you can think of the difference as being the net migration. So did these people in general leave a certain region overall, or did they pool into that region? And and how does that work? And so I have a map that looks at net migration by age group. Jens, just two questions on that one. Are people actually, I mean, it's always in the media that everyone's leaving and the fear of leaving. And are people actually leaving Vancouver, young millennials? So the question there is, is really, what is Vancouver? So if we think about the metro region, Nathan Lausnett looked at this in detail, and I've looked at this too, and there's really no evidence that um, millennials are leaving metro Vancouver. So it's not something that's visible on the census numbers. If we are looking at the actual city of Vancouver, um, things get a little bit more complex because uh, one thing that you see there is you see a very clear, um, what I would call a generational pulse of the city. And so what that means is that if you um, go through the net migration by age groups, um, you realize that a family formation happens really in the central areas of the city, like the downtown core, kids, and sort of the, the belt around downtown. And a lot of under five-year-old children get born. But if you check later to see if these children that were under five before, so that now then should be five to nine if they're still there, about 20% of them aren't there anymore. So there's a clear drain of these. So you can see these families with young children, 20% of them leave this sort of city core area. In some areas, it's more, in some it's less. It could even go up to 50% in some of the areas. In, in that case, though, Jens, it sounds like they're not leaving Metro Vancouver. They're leaving the, the core of the city for, you know, right. Port Moody, New West, Burnaby. That and it's interesting. One place where they show up is the west side which is quite interesting to me. So the west side essentially is where significantly more children pile up than than were there before. So some of these families, from wherever they come, they move to the west side. The east side, not so much. The east side seems quite neutral on that part. And then, of course, you see the outskirts that do gain again people like this. And um, you definitely see it in Surrey. You see it uh, White Rock. You see even West Vancouver, where these children start to... To pile up. This seems like such strange, uh, the data 
uh, going against kind of conventional wisdom here because, you know, people are sort of constantly talking about how the West Side's being hollowed out and, you know, empty homes and and older folks and empty homes basically of, of certain neighborhoods, whereas, you know, neighborhoods like Cedar Cottage or Commercial Drive in on the East Side seem like they're very dynamic, but, but the census data is not drawing that out? No, I think that probably isn't quite right to say it this way. So really what, I, what I'm saying here is that the number of children overall is still higher in these East Side neighborhoods than it is on the West Side. But what's happening is that when I'm looking at a net migration, is that when I compare these different age groups through the years, I look at basically I'm using the zero to five-year-olds as a proxy to say, what do I expect to see in terms of five to nine-year-olds five years later? Mm-hmm. And do I see more than I expect or fewer? And what happens is that on the West side, I see more, which means that these children might not get born there, but they move in later. Interesting. And the numbers might not quite be as high, but there's definitely significantly more than I would expect, which is somewhat surprising still that a young family with, you know, somewhere around the age of five moves in to a West Side home. Whereas on the East Side, there it seems there's not much net migration, which could mean simply that these children, they just stay there. Right. They don't move in or out in great numbers. Whereas the downtown core kits and sort of the belt around like Mount Pleasant, um, maybe uh, uh, north of 16th, those areas, they they lose children over that time frame. Sorry, and the area there where they're losing children is kind of the, basically the downtown and, and the surrounding areas, if I understand. That's right. Think of it as like um, north of 16th and sort of around downtown areas. Right. But then as one, as one looks at all the age group, as the kids get older, the five to nine-year-olds seem quite stable. So they kind of stay where they are. And then really, as you go into the age groups that are maybe around 15, starting to be college age, and then around the 20s, you can see that everything around the city of Vancouver is losing them. And they're just pouring into the central areas. So they're still pouring also into Burnaby and a bit into Surrey, and especially along the transit corridors. But you can see these people just rush in, in their early 20s. And then it's, it's it's really quite clear if you look at the 20 to 24-year-old cohort, so the people that were 20 or 24-year-old in 2011, mm-hmm. in 2016, that'd be 25 to 29, they occupy that core downtown area and the transit corridors, and they just rush in in huge numbers. And by the time they're 25 to 29, things mellow out a bit, and then when they get into their 30s, and the late 30s, you can see sort of a slight drain again from the downtown core area, which which probably correspond to those children, you know, the zero to fives again right. moving out. Right, where they're born in those mm-hmm. central areas, and then as the kids, yeah. they kind of outgrow their space and they move out. This this all makes sense. That's right. Is, do you have any data that links the two? Like, are you able to say, you know, generally the, the people that don't have those kids stay in the downtown core? No. So um, I don't have data linking the two. I could um, actually. Maybe this is a map Adam should create. Now, there is something I can probably do about this. But um, so this is something where where one can look at, at finer, finer data to distinguish if it's the people with kids or not. So that's an interesting question right. to try and distinguish those. Well, well one of the um, things that that map that I was looking at a few weeks ago got me thinking about was, you know, in the real estate market right now there's a lot of, you know, smaller units are are very high in demand and I think part of that is 
due to affordability. But part of that seems that there's just more people living alone. Like I'm wondering if this sort of general trend of fewer people having kids is we're seeing that in real time in the real estate market right now with the demand for the smaller units. And, you know, of course, the city of Vancouver is also always pushing for more family housing. But is the census data actually heading in the other direction? Yeah, so that, I think that's a very interesting way. We have a lot of indicators that say that smaller and also studio one-bedroom units is something the market really wants. I mean, if you look at rents, for example, um, these kind of units, the rent has increased much faster than, say, a two-bedroom right. unit. Um, so there are clear signs there. The city of Vancouver has always had a very high number of one-person households. So if you compare that to to other regions, say Toronto, um, Vancouver has a much, city of Vancouver especially, a much higher number of, of one-person households. That leads to actually quite interesting things. So another finding from the census that I find fascinating is um, we know that in the city of Vancouver, the median household income is lower than the median household income in the city of Toronto. But that story is really, uh, saying it this way, is really quite misleading. Right. Because if we split up our households into median income for one-person households and median income for two or more person households, we see that in each one of these categories, the median income is higher in Vancouver than it is in Toronto. That's fascinating. That is, man, that is a story that has not been told. No, so, so really what's happening here is that, yes, the median income overall of households in the city of Vancouver is lower, but it's really only because we have a much higher proportion of one-person households, which tend, in, in both cases, which have lower incomes overall. So, so this is, there's a lot of fascinating facets in this, but you know, I think going back to your question about what does the census data tell us about these households and what is there, is there a need for one-person households or more, we have some data bits in the census that very clearly tell us that if we had one-person small units that were renting at a rate that um, people would find attractive, there would be a lot of people that would want these. So we have about 110,000 children over the age of 25 living currently with their parents. Mm -hmm. So in, in many cases, that might be a matter of choice, but um, you know, I would think uh, the majority of them, it probably isn't. It's, it's a matter of um, being able to make ends work. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have this situation where maybe the parents live in larger homes and the idea of having a bit of space and having very low or no rent payments to, to the parents is overriding the really expensive units that people could rent that, that are actually available. So um, adding to that stock might relieve some of that. And um, so there's a huge latent demand sitting there for these kind of units. Jens, just out of curiosity, do you ever look at um, houses that are occupied by either owners or tenants? And, and what the breakdown is in Vancouver? So that's something that the, that data hasn't been released yet for 2016. So that's um, next week, actually, coming out next week. Oh, well, that'd be back. Um, the, <laughs> the owner. And next week is, is when the housing data gets released. So that's when really a lot of the housing, affordability, and other types of questions, and also the migration of household as sort of a housing unit can be looked at. And so that, that'll be very interesting. But that is next week. If we're looking at older data, things don't change that fast. We have roughly a 50-50 split, mm -hmm. renter-owner. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, it makes me think about, you know, we constantly see articles in the news 
about the debt service ratio in Vancouver and that the incomes are mm-hmm. are far too low for what the home prices are. It would be interesting to yeah. see um, which of those individuals or couples, who are the owners and, and what is actually the income versus mm-hmm. who is the right. tenant. So, right. I mean, the metrics that we usually see um, these days in the news are what's generally called like the median multiples. So you take the median income in a certain region, say the city of Vancouver, and you compare that to median home prices. Sometimes if you look at demographia, it's it's geared towards single family homes. If you look at um, other, sometimes they take just a general home price index and try to determine uh, these ratios. And that's a very tough thing to do to really explain anything about affordability. Like you mentioned, 50% or a little over 50% are renting in the city. So the median household in that sense is actually a renter household, mm-hmm. um, not an owner household. We have a very high number of one-person households. So um, the median household is barely a two-person household in the city of Vancouver. So um, making these comparisons is very hard. One really needs to go down and break things down in, in finer categories to make sense out of these. And one thing that we have noticed in the city of Vancouver, if I look in terms of incomes over the past censuses, we know the median income has increased. But there are many ways how the median income can increase. We can increase the median income by adding people just above the median. So if people make just a little bit more than the median and uh, pile up there, then the median income increases. But it also increases if everybody piles up in the top income bracket. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what's happening in the city of Vancouver, even worse. If you look at the proportion of people in the over $100,000 income bracket of households, in terms of, and you divide that by the total change in, in the number of households that have grown, you see it's bigger than one. So essentially, we have lost lower income households and really piled them up in the top income bracket. If 2011 data is a little bit difficult to work with with a national household survey, but overall on the city level, the, the data is quite good. I've, I've run, run a bit of analysis on this. And there we see that people pile up in the top bracket again, which is the 150,000 plus bracket. That's really where in net we've been adding people and we've been losing in all the ones below the $50,000. We've been draining people in each single income bracket there and more so than the rest of the metro area. So you can definitely see that the income situation in Vancouver is shifting much faster than it is in the rest of metro. Hmm. And, And those are the people, of course, that set the marginal price when they buy a condo unit, when they bid for the next rental building. Those are the ones that um, can explain some of that movement that we've seen, but clearly not all. I think that there's no denying that wealth plays an important role in, in our property market. Mm-hmm. But I think looking just at these median incomes is quite misleading uh, when trying to relate it to the property market. That's that's really interesting. You know, maybe just one last question here before we let you go. We know you're you're a busy guy, and I don't know if you're interested in investing in in Vancouver real estate. But based on your your reading of all the census data, if you were looking to buy something as an investment property, is there a what would you buy, and and what neighborhood would you be buying in? Oh, that's really something I haven't looked at. <laughs> so I don't think I can, uh, I can, I can give any advice on that. Yeah, I, I can't say anything. About that. <laughs> Fair enough. I was looking for a, a great piece of advice, but uh, that was uh, that was a curveball. So, 
Okay, well, instead of what would you buy, Jens, is you mentioned people pooling. Which areas of, of Vancouver are growing kind of the, uh, the quickest over the last 10 years? Well, so if we're trying to understand the, the overall growth in Metro Vancouver, it is really just driven by the number of units we built. Interesting. So in Metro Vancouver, if one looks at, one can, for example, as a reference, look at the regional growth strategy that outlaid where we should build and accommodate the people that we expect to come. And in 2011, there was a plan, or even earlier, there was a plan laid out. In 2011, they again looked against the census and mapped it out for 10 years. We can look at the halfway mark and see how we performed. And we can see that different regions in Metro Vancouver underperformed, overperformed in the buildings and the people we got. But the relationship was tight. Wherever we build more, we got exactly that amount of people more. Wherever we build less, we got that fewer people. Interesting. So it's really, in our environment, buildings are hard cap on population growth here. Uh-huh. And I mean, we have got the highest job vacancy rate in the country. There's a lot of people, a lot of jobs. And we start to see these news stories too now, um, where people can fill these jobs and um we can view this from the perspective of, okay, maybe they need higher salaries in order to afford to live here. But in many ways, it's a null-sum game. If we don't create more space, more units for them to live in, even if we pay somebody else, some trade, say, more money to come and you know work here and maybe live in this, settle in the region, that essentially means somebody else will have to leave. Hmm. So the rate at which we're building is just not keeping up with job growth. So Looking again at the Metro Vancouver targets, we completely blew the job growth targets. Wow. Plus, we have the highest vacancy rate on top of that in the country, like job growth, I mean, employment growth. Mm-hmm. We blew the employment growth. On top of that, we've got the highest job vacancy rate in the country. We underbuilt the dwellings that were projected, and we got accordingly lower population growth than was projected. And so that relationship is pretty tight. But what's interesting to see within the city is how different type of development changes the demographics of the population. Sure. So if we're looking again, at, we've talked a bit about downtown area north of 16, sort of the downtown and the belt around. What I find really fascinating is that that area has gained children, whereas the rest of the city of Vancouver has dropped children. Hmm. And what's even more fascinating is that downtown core area and the belt around it hasn't just gained children, but the share of children in the population has also increased. I wonder, Jens, if it's a, if if there's also a question about school catchments there um, over product type. Well, I think there's been a, a miscalculation about how this kind of development that we've seen, and, and of course, this area that I'm talking about now has seen a big part of the development pressure in the city of Vancouver, some population growth has been big here, there. So you would expect, of course, things like children to increase, but it's even the share of children in the population that increase, which is really fascinating. Mm. But yeah, I think there was definitely um, some misreading in, in the planning there that those schools haven't really been properly planned out. Olympic Village has filled up with a lot of children, mm-hmm. and that's been in the news because of that, and the school issues there, the downtown schools, even though we have new ones, they're all full. Yeah, the Crosstown School, I think, uh, was the yeah. waiting list. We see similar things up at UBC, where that's part of Vancouver School Board, where the type of development, which is condos, essentially, and some rental housing, 
uh, and faculty and staff housing has led to an explosion of children again. And these schools are already starting to reach capacity, although they're fairly new. So it, it seems that in terms of where families will live, they have to go somewhere. We only have, you know, that many single family homes. Um, 20% of them are one person households right now, single family homes, and um, a lot of them are seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, we really see that families, without really having a choice, have to find some other product type to, to live in. Mm-hmm. And these are the areas that they make their home. So, so Jens, this conversation, although it's really interesting, is not making me very optimistic about affordability in, in Vancouver. Um, it, it seems like it's a case of if we build it, you know, they will come very much so in, in the sense that if an area is getting a lot of new product or inventory, then there's going to be migration to that area. What in your mind is the solution here? Is it build more or is it change zoning? Is it increased density? Well, uh, you know, I think it's, it's all of the above. I mean, some of that we're doing. We have record under construction right now in the region, which is, I think, a positive thing to see. Mm-hmm. We deal with some of the um, sort of issues around the edges of this. How do we utilize our building stock better? So the empty homes tax regulation for Airbnb is going in that direction. If I were to think about, you know, what's there's a lot of talk about the right kind of supply. To me, key for the right kind of supply is rental. Um, we have been overly relying on the secondary market for rentals. And I think um, the security of tenure, especially for a family that maybe lives in a rental building for a while, knowing that you can just stay there and having some kind of security, mm-hmm. I think is very important. Mm-hmm. And um, so the city of Vancouver has been, same as New West and city of North Vancouver, are at the forefront of trying to push for more rental. The rest of the region, not so much. But even that, I think, is, is really not enough for, for the need for rental that we see in this, in this region. I do believe zoning is a huge impediment to really deliver the type of housing that families are looking for. If I look at uh, Nathan Louster's The Death and Life of the Single Family Home and the families he interviews there, and I think of, well, just for the numbers game, we can't you know, the numbers don't add up. We have way too many families for single-family homes. But what could replace that? And I'm thinking some denser ground-oriented units could very much do so. Um, say a four or six plaques on a single-family lot and um, opening that up could, I think, really bridge those needs. And opening up zoning wholesale, not just a spot rezoning, but, a, but on a grand scheme, could really, um, you know, have some confidence that there is actually capacity to build as many homes as we might want on these lots, right? So right now we have on average 1.5 units per single family lots. If we allow up to six, we can probably realistically get to three units per single family lots um, within a couple of decades, which is a significant increase. Right. Hey, last question for you, Jens. Both times we've had you on, it's it's such a fascinating conversation and it gets us thinking, or at least myself thinking in kind of different ways uh, about a lot of the things that are kind of the tropes of Vancouver, challenging sort of the conventional wisdom. Is the city using this data as effectively as they, they could be? I mean, you seem to be reading this data in, in really smart ways. Are, are you kind of alone in this or what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, so... I think, I mean, the city is definitely looking at the data too. Other people are also doing this. I'm not sure if mine way is smarter than anybody else's. 
But uh, one thing that I've done actually quite recently is um, as I start to see that we actually do have a lot of data, what's missing is analysis. Right. I've basically changed Census Mapper, expanded on Census Mapper to have a way for people to easily extract, sort of pinpoint data and extract it from Census Mapper for analysis purposes. And I've started to, to write sort of a, a wrapper in, in a statistical language that people use often to do this kind of analysis to facilitate this data import there. Immediately, two other people jumped in to help out. And now people start to use a more rigorous statistical analysis to really deal with the census data. And what I see happening here is um, we have a lot of talent in Vancouver. What I'm hoping for is that more and more people will do this and, and contribute to this. So very recently, my more recent blog posts now are actually... They're literally the code that runs the analysis is embedded in the blog post. And you can just download it and run it on your machine. You don't need to bring your own data. It pulls it in through Census Mapper automatically, and you can start to play with it on your own computer. Wow. So what I'm really hoping for, and I think what's really needed here, is a more collaborative approach to this kind of analysis. Instead of having one guy says, well, I ran the numbers and I came out with this, the next person says, well, I did something else and I came out with it. Mm -hmm. What I'm really hoping is that if people mm -hmm. put these kind of notebooks that they do their statistical calculations in online, then I can just say, oh, what did this other person do? And I can run it. I, I know exactly what they do. It reproduces the analysis. And then I can go, well, I don't think, you know, I would interpret differently. And let's see what I get if I do that. And then post it back and saying, well, this is what I do. And maybe you know, move. I think everybody's trying to solve problems to make things better, but everybody's time is limited mm -hmm. too. And I'm hoping to have a more collaborative way of moving these things forward, making them more transparent. So, so this is something that I'm hoping might happen. Well, there's the call. Hopefully, hopefully somebody listening to this uh, joins you, Jens. I think you're you're doing God's work. Well, I don't know, um, but this is sort of my answer to sort of the he said, she said, expert type things that we often see. Yeah, so if anybody's out there and um, sort of the wrapper that I wrote to pull in the data is in R, which is a common statistical analysis language. Um, if you have a different one, it's, you can also just download an Excel spreadsheet and pinpoint data through the uh, newer API service that Census Mapper has. I'd love to see more people jump into this because, quite frankly, I have so many things I would love to look at and I just don't have time. I can't justify spending all that time to really run all these different analyses. Right, right. Well, so the website is censusmapper.ca. Yeah, well, thanks for your, your time, Jens. This has been a, a fascinating conversation. It's been my pleasure. It's always great to be on your show. Okay, well, hopefully we'll have you back soon, I'm sure. <laughs> Take care, Jens. Uh, you too, bye-bye. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Jens von Bergman, data scientist over at mountainmath.ca. Jens is a fascinating guy, Matt, and really somebody who's who's doing God's work in Vancouver here, because why on earth would you spend so much time? <laughs> well, the, this is the thing about it, Jens. When, you know, it's, it, he's doing it. It's, it's, it's basically, it's a selfless pursuit. It's a selfless pursuit. It's amazing because Jens has been in Vancouver, what, seven, eight years, however long, but he's really kind of taken an interest in the city and in, in this kind of really intellectual way we're breaking down data doing it 
basically out of interest. Yeah. And he's got this website now, censusmapper.ca, where he's creating a community of like-minded people to right. kind of drill down with the data and uh, and help and us all learn do, more about the city. And they can do user-generated maps now, and it's it's kind of this collective pushing forward. Yeah. And the best thing is that there's a, not a lot of information in the, the areas that they're actually they're, analyzing, This is right? actually, this is why it's so important, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, what was your biggest takeaway from the interview? You know what? I, what, I, what stuck with me is this idea that uh, the median income, household income right. in Vancouver, which the media splashes constantly around as being so low and so out of whack. Compared with, to the rest with, of the cities yeah, in Toronto Canada. Is, yeah, is so much higher. But what Jens pointed out, which is super interesting, is there's way more single people living in Vancouver, which is A, kind of speaks to the, this, uh, the real estate world um, in terms of is it a bubble, blah, 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 that type of discussion. But more importantly, I think, as what type of housing is required in Vancouver and where the smart investments are. Exactly, exactly. So maybe we don't need so many three bedrooms coming up and maybe we need more one bedrooms. Who knows? But this data is really interesting. And I think it's just, we're just on the tip of the iceberg here in, in what we can find out with guys like Jens von Bergman on the case. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and if you're interested in helping Jens, head over to censusmapper.ca. Absolutely. So Matt, also we've got the new website. Speaking of another website, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Matt and I. Uh, head over to Vancouver Real Estate <laughs> no, Podcast. We are interested in helping you. Well, absolutely. Head over to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. Check out uh, the new site. We've got it. We've made it so easy to get the best resources. Yeah, no more, no more slash PCS. Exactly. We've got the green button is if you want to get in touch. The orange button, if you want to sign up for private client services. And Matt, if you're not using private client services, you're standing still while the rest of us are power walking by. Yeah, well, it's a powerful research tool. It and is. it's the most powerful in the business. It is, because you get listing updates 36 to 72 hours before Realtor.ca. You also get sold prices, days on market, if you Realtor be, level information. Yeah, there's no better way to monitor the market than with private client services. So go That's click guaranteed. on the orange button. And then there's a blue button with email updates, uh, insider information, pre-sale updates, the latest pre-sales and incentives. So sign up for the email list. You're not going to be let down. VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com is your one-stop shop. And if you're colorblind, we've written on all the buttons <laughs> yeah, so you know. Yeah, you know you don't have to know what those yeah, colors. Yeah, because you're colorblind. I and, am colorblind, uh, So yeah. we, we thought of everyone. It's an inclusive website. It's a very inclusive website. And Matt, uh, finally, what else have we got before we go? Uh, the reviews. Oh yeah, right, right. We're at 123. So we should say between 110 and 120, we had that uh, review drive going. Yeah. We do have the gift. It's still staring at me in the face. We're gonna we're gonna get in touch with the winner next week. We had a couple people just bump it up to 123 over the last couple of days. Thank you so much for those reviews. Absolutely. They're super powerful for us for growing our show and and, and we're gonna be more doing people. these and we're gonna be doing draws every 10 reviews. So if you feel like you missed out on the last one, head on over to Seven iTunes. Seven spots left. Or wherever you listen to uh, the podcast give us a review you'll be entered into the into the draw for the next prize and also it helps us grow our podcast so if you if you like what you hear please head over and uh, give us a review okay and if you want to just get in touch call me at 778-847-2854 or get in touch at matt at vancouver real estate podcast.com or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouver real estate podcast.com Braden's not here, but you can try him at what media? Is Braden ever here? Braden info. Where is that guy? Just call me. Just call it. Yeah, call Adam. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, have a great week. Take care, guys.
Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.